Uh, just giving you guys an idea of what we're going to have today. Um, one, first of all, we have Chris Zillman with us, and we're so fired up about that. I feel like uh, for so many of you, you are uh, Chris is well known to you. And uh, for those of you who don't know, he's no longer uh, in Chicagoland anymore. He has uh, he has moved to Denver, Colorado, to uh, take on the lead evangelist uh, role there in the Denver Church. And the Denver Church is. Uh, extremely blessed and I'm sure very grateful. Um, and what is Chicago's loss has become Denver's gain. Uh, we're so excited. I, I, I am so excited to have you guys hear Chris's lesson. I think Chris's lesson for today is so uh, appropriate for all the things that we're dealing with. I feel like uh, he is going to share some things from the scriptures, specifically from the book of John and, um, and, and, and the lessons that are going to come from this I feel like this is one of those lessons, kind of like uh, Nathan the prophet talking to David. Like you, you know, you got to stick in there all the way to the end because you, you're going to realize, oh man, I am that man. And I feel like uh, I can't wait for us to kind of take what Chris shares and apply it to our everyday lives on campus. Chris is awesome. I think what, Chris, the thing you got to know about Chris is, is he's so much fun. Like Chris is a guy's kind of guy who you just want to hang out with all the time. I'm in a fantasy football league with Chris. We're all very grateful he's in that league because it's like an instant win any week you're playing Chris. And uh, <laughs> so um, with that, I won't take up any more of your time. I will let Chris have it. And I'm going to go ahead and um, uh, mute myself and my video. And I will be in the chat from time to time, me poking in there and finding ways for you guys to engage, putting questions in there, maybe a poll or something like that. Um, but thank you so much, Chris, for taking your time today. Uh, take it away, good sir. Well, thank you, Phil. It's 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 great to be on here. I got to be honest. I really I'm not a fan of the whole video uh, messaging and uh, doing uh, you know kind of doing messages and sermons through video. I, I'm so much better in front of people, and so bear with me as I attempt to do this. Um, uh, via this medium, but I am grateful. I, I love the Midwest. My heart is so much in the Midwest and, and I love Midwest people. You know, I'm, I'm technically on the West side of the country now. And, and you could just tell, like I, whenever I meet someone from the Midwest that's, that's moved to Denver, I just have a feeling about them. There's just an authenticity to people who are, who are from the Midwest. And honestly, I, I miss it. And I miss being around this particular group and uh, you guys are amazing. And I, thank you for spending your, your, your Saturday uh, with us and on this retreat. So the, uh, the title of today's sermon is The Soup is Poisoned. And you'll, you'll understand why we have that title in just a little bit. But, you know, of, of all the horrible events of this strange year, there exists underneath them a more insidious and unobserved bolster supporting and sustaining our present issues, even as we pray for solutions and answers to their existence. Um, we have a problem because there's something wrong with how every problem gets diagnosed and gets discussed in the world around us. It doesn't even matter for the most part what the problem is, whether it's environmentalism or race or healthcare or sexuality or religion or gender or politics or world events. We are suffering as a people, as a, as a nation, a breakdown of awareness and discourse that becomes more serious year by year because we blame and we accuse. 
We report anything that makes us uncomfortable or that we don't understand. We insult, we berate, we characterize anyone who disagrees. And the result is that the world creates cures that are even worse than the illnesses it's facing. But, you know, to be honest, that's not my concern. We live in a fallen world, and in a fallen world, this kind of break with civility and rationale is to be expected. But here's the thing. This behavior is weaving its into the fabric of the church as well. And it's this that I want to discuss. So let's begin with an image of a bowl of soup. Imagine that you are given a bowl of soup. And you are told that the soup inside the bowl is poisoned. Now, you and I know that we can't get rid of the poison by changing the bowl. You have to change the soup inside. And I bring this up because the topic of today's message is about poison and about a world so poisoned by hatred, by envy, by strife, by envy. It, it, it doesn't know what to do with itself. And so let's begin just with, with an eye on 2020, okay? It has been an emotional year for, for most people. The fear, the inconvenience, and the, and the anxiety of living during a global pandemic, the, the sight of violence and murder on TV that has underscored the story of injustice that was broadly felt and experienced by many people in this country has been horrible. And then the ugly divisiveness, the meanness, the, the callousness, the accusation that these realities have produced in people in the world and in the church is a constant source of stress for all of us. And now we are on the eve of perhaps the most contentious presidential election since, well, since the last one. So I would say that probably not everybody is coping well with what 2020 has thrown at us. And I think there is a potential for a lot of mistakes to be made during this time that can destroy our relationships with one another and dim the light that the church is supposed to be right now when the fallen world is going through so much. And I think it's because some of us have become poisoned. Um, and so before I get to that, I got to tell you, um, I, I got kicked out of a bar uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, actually, it's, a, it's about a month ago now. Um, and what happened was I was there meeting somebody and we were having uh, a discussion and this group of four people walked in and they sat next to us and three of them were, were talking and kind of having, you know, they were having fun, but there was, there was, there was one guy, you know, there was one guy there who was just really quiet and he just, there's some people you meet that just make your hair stand up on end. And so I just had, I kept an eye on him. I don't even know why. I don't know what, I don't know why he gave me a strange feeling, but the three people at his table were all laughing and enjoying their time together. And he just kind of sat there very quiet. And I don't know if he looked mad, but I think he was already fairly drunk. Anyway, he gets up at some point to go to the bathroom and I, and I forget about him for a second. And then I start to hear shouting. Um, I'm sitting, there's like an outdoor patio and from inside the bar, I start to hear the shouting. And one of the waitresses is screaming at this guy that was sitting next to me. And they are going back and forth and it's starting to get, and, and it's, it's super tense. And, you know, she's talking about, you know, she's talking about hitting him and he's telling her he's going to knock her out. And so I, I'm like, I'm looking at it. And then some of the other waiters come in, they start kicking him out and the manager comes and it's like, you need to leave, you need to leave. And then the guy throws a punch at the manager. 
And so I don't even know what I was thinking. I just got up and ran over to the fight immediately. I don't know what I thought I was going to do. I, I was just, I, I was kind of thinking about the waitress. I was like, I don't want her to get tangled up in this. And so I get there and we're, tr we're trying to break it up. And the guy is insane. And so the guy leaves and then, and then, every, and then the, the whole wait, wait staff comes up to me and kicks me out. I think they thought that I wanted to join the fight. So I got kicked, I got kicked out of this bar <laughs> a couple weeks ago as, as the leader of the Denver church. And, but to be honest, it's, it's events like that, that it kind of makes me, it, what's, it's why I love pubs so much. It's why I love these places because in these places, humanity is on display and it's, it's fascinating to see. In a pub, you see you see friends interacting, and you see people without friends looking for human connection. There are people that are falling in love in bars, and there are people who are falling out of love. And in these pubs, what you see is, is a society at work. Now, about a year and a half ago, I was at a different pub. This is when I was living in Chicago, and I saw a confrontation in that in that bar that epitomizes the ability of our world to process and interpret what's actually happening. Now, at the time of this conflict that I'm going to get to in a second, there were a lot of stories in the news about domestic violence and the abuse of women. And these are obviously troubling subjects that, that need to be discussed. But along with that discussion, something else began happening as well. It had become increasingly popular for people to post personal stories of abuse and then to call everyone else to to solidarity and and as and and to join the outcry against this violence. And now none of that is a problem in and of itself, but there always develops a frenzied nature about the way that our culture does this. Because what soon results is a period of self-righteousness around a given topic, in this, in this case, the abuse of women, that goes beyond an effort to promote a good cause. There, you start to see a depraved joy in hunting down people who could be judged as maybe having offended that cause. Um, and so this brings me to this other conflict that I got into in a, in a different bar. And so this, this whole sermon isn't going to be about my experiences in bars, but the first two stories are. Um, and what happened was I, was I was with a bunch of disciples in a pub near my house, and we were sitting there, and it, the place was packed, and we were having fun. And then all of a sudden, this woman hits the floor right next to our table. And, um, and so everybody stands up. And they, remember. In the news at this point, it is dominated by the stories of the abuse of women and people are getting upset at these stories. And so this woman falls down and like 20 people in the bar immediately stand up and there's a guy who's who's sitting there who's like his hands are up in the air like, you know, like I, I didn't mean to like I didn't mean to knock her down. And so now everybody's kind of like in his face. And so, you know, the four disciples I'm with, we're you know, we're trying to you know, we're just trying to keep everybody away and. Um, and people that people are saying, no, I saw him. He, he pushed, he knocked her down. He hit her. And now, now people are getting, are getting upset. And this guy, he's trying to tell, he's trying to tell like, no, no, that's not exactly what happened. And people are ready to beat this man. All right. Now, what actually happened was this, this woman, um, had gotten into a conflict with that, with, with the guy at a bar, with the guy at a bar at the, at the bar, um, about an hour before. And um, they had gotten into it verbally. Now, this woman has been here at the bar, I guess, for hours. And she was and she was totally drunk. 
Um, and she got into this conflict with the guy. Then she left. And then an hour later, what happened was she went up to the bar and she found them. She found the guy sitting at the seat and she just went up behind him and punched him right in the face. Okay. And so he got punched and he kind of turned around to like protect himself. And as he turned around, she had a big backpack on. He knocked her over. All right. But here's the other thing is that the guy that she got into a conflict with actually had left the bar a half hour ago and a different guy was sitting in that seat. And so she came up and punched just a random dude um, who, who had never met her before. And he just kind of turned around to protect himself and then fell down. And so this whole conflict, this guy almost got beat down by 20 different guys because of a, a complete misunderstanding, all right? But the idea that no meaningful questions were going to be asked, but just a pronouncement of guilt tells you that something is seriously wrong with the way that we deal with conflict in our world. At the time, I, I actually wondered, is everyone so upset just so they, 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 can, they can go home and post to social media that they fought for this cause by beating up somebody that they didn't know, they didn't ask any questions of, but they were pretty sure did something wrong? To me, this event is a microcosm of what's going on all over the place right now. Go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 8. And we're going to look at a pretty famous story um, that we think we like, but we really don't. This is a story that, that you know, is used over and over again as an example of, uh, of why we love Jesus. But I'm telling you, this is an example of why we struggle with Jesus. All right. John chapter 8 verse 3 says this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and stared and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw stones at her. Again, he stooped down and began writing on the ground. We hate this story. We, we reject this story within our culture because there's never a right time for this story. As a matter of fact, the only way that this story is palatable to us, the only way that we accept this story is when it's handled in its present form in a woman caught in adultery. In any other context, we're normally unwilling to apply the principles here. Because in this context, we've turned the sinner into a helpless victim because of the scenario. And I think that we forget that this woman was actually guilty. She actually was an adulteress. Now she may have been set up, sure, I mean, we don't, we don't know that. Certainly the man wasn't brought to account in this scenario. But none of that takes away from the fact that this, that this story is about a sinner. It is about a woman who's cheating on her husband, all right? Now, the Pharisees want to entrap Jesus in this story. And they do this by trying to pose a binary framework to the situation at hand. The law says this, do you agree, yes or no? And man, we do this in culture all the time. There's only two answers to a question. It's either yes or it's no. It's either black or it's white. It's either yeah, it's either go or it's stay. Um, and that's not the way anything works. There, there are so many variables to why things happen. There are so many variables to why we do things. There's never, there's never just one reason why you do anything. 
There's a lot of reasons why we do the things that we do. It's complicated. Now, Jesus, as masterful as ever, refuses to be put into the position of having to answer a binary question. He will not allow a complicated question with a complex story, with complex ramifications to be boiled down to such a brutally simplistic answer. Instead, he reframeworks their question and accusation against the sinner. And he says, go ahead and throw stones if you have no sin. Now, judging by some of the things that I read in social media, we have a lot of people in our church who claim to have no sin. And that's because we hate this story. Again, there's never a good time for this story. Certainly not if the sinner was a racist. Certainly not if the sinner was a misogynist. Certainly not if the sinner was a politician or a professional athlete or rich. Those people don't deserve the same type of mercy Jesus was offering in this story. I think that this story, as always, points out the ugly self-righteousness of religious folks. So I've thought a lot about why we as a church have come to this place of vitriol and self-righteousness within so many hearts of the members inside the church itself. Because I understand why it takes place in our culture and in the world. Brutality and judgment have ever found a place within our culture. But why is it happening inside the church? A people who are supposed to be the most in touch with their own forgiveness and with the grace that they've been given, that as a result, they're slow to anger and slow to judge. That's who we're supposed to be. Now, the kingdom is supposed to be a place also of justice and a place of righteousness and goodness. But we're supposed to be the place that builds these virtues in a way that's completely different than the world. We are supposed to attempt to make a just and fair place that's built on mercy and built on grace. So I suspect that something else is at work in too many people in the church and that this is what's creating so much judgment. So go with me right now to Matthew chapter seven and we're gonna read something kind of on the tail end of Jesus's uh, Sermon on the Mount, okay? And I, I, I can't read uh, all of six and all of seven, but I'm going to put into context a little bit of six and seven, all right? But starting in chapter seven in verse one, it says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, you may trample them under their, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, so in my opinion, in this verse, there are a few things happening here, okay? Number one is a discussion of judgment. Secondly, is the discussion of an inability to see because of hypocrisy and then the inability to hear because of hypocrisy. All right, now in the verses immediately before and after what we just read, Jesus is addressing the anxiety and the worry that comes with putting him 
and the kingdom first. Okay, so right before this verse that we just read, Jesus is explaining that people need to seek first the kingdom, trusting that God will meet their needs, that all the fears that they have about their needs not being met, that put the kingdom first and then God will take care of that. All right, and then right after the verse we read, Jesus is explaining that we only need to go to God and he will listen to us and give to us what we need and what is good for us. Okay, so both of these narratives are dealing with anxiety and worry and, and basically just a, an obsession of, am I going to get what's fair? Am I going to get what's right? Okay, is God really going to meet my needs? Okay, and so this admonishment of judgment might seem curiously placed between two narratives about anxiety and about meeting needs, except that it isn't. It's, it's perfectly placed because when we're not happy, when we are in the muck and the mire, when we are in need, when we feel the weight of the world and we are afraid and we're anxious and we're angry as a result, we are tempted to lash out in judgment, to find the speck in someone else's eye. I think something that this sequence points to is that judgment of others often stems from a worldly discontent existing within ourselves. What's so, hot, what so often happens as a result of personal discontent and personal trial is that those that suffer this way mistakenly believe that all they have to do is change the environment around them and then they will find contentment. I hate that I am single. I hate that I don't have money that other people have. I hate that people don't see me the same way that they see other people. And thus begins a crusade to change the environment of the world all in the belief that doing so will change how they feel about themselves on the inside. So a desperate judgment begins against all things that cause pain. And rules are pronounced that will prevent pain from ever occurring again. And then there's rules for rules. And, and then a monitor and a watch guard is set up to monitor everybody else to ensure that the environment is preserved so that they don't have to feel pain. It's often a crusade to create a more comfortable world above and beyond a pursuit of personal righteousness. And yet, violence against women will never end in a fallen world, and neither will injustice, and neither will oppression, and neither will classism or racism or sexism or whatever ism you wanna put on it. And what does Jesus say about it all? He says, take the plank out of your own eye first. And then maybe you'll be able to see clearly to help the people around you. Something happens to us when we focus first and foremost upon our own walk with God before we go about the business of changing the sin that goes in the world around us. When we walk with God in righteousness, in openness, humility, and passion, it always changes the manner in which we pursue the mission to change the world. We begin to care about wisdom, over expedience. We refuse to act as though any end justifies the means. We start to care about the sinner. We become patient. And perhaps most of all, we are so keenly aware of our own sin and our own favored place in this universe and that it only remains secure because of mercy. In essence, the self-righteous hypocrisy disappears from the tone and from the content of our words and our eyes are opened, and then we see clearly. I wanna end here with, with, a, with a story and just a few more thoughts. Um, my first month as a disciple, I was, um, 
I was going out. I, I hated sharing my faith, but I, you know, I did it every day and I forced myself to do it. And, you know, one day I was going out and I was at Indiana university and there was um, right outside, right outside the university as you're entering the main street of the town, there was a park. I don't know what it's called now, but we always call it punk rock park. And it's where all the townies hung out. And um, so I went there, it's a little tiny park. And I went there to, uh, to share my faith. And it's humiliating. You know, it's just, it's like a bunch of punk rockers and, you know, uh, musicians and skateboarders, and they all hate me. You know, I'm out there sharing my faith. And I sit down on this bench next to this guy who's got a big backpack on. And I start talking to him, and I'm about to share my faith with him. And another guy, another guy comes over. And they start talking back and forth. And finally, like, one guy says, so do you have my stuff? And the other guy goes, yeah, do you have my money? And so the guy pulls out a big wad of bills. And then the other guy pulls out a bag of pills. And, and, and they, they so it's, I'm in the middle of a drug deal right now. And I just kind of stand up. I'm like, hey, I, guys, listen, um, I just wanted to invite you to church. I, I, I don't know if you want to study the Bible. Um, but, you know, my life was just changed through the scriptures and through Jesus. And, you know, we're having this barbecue tonight. And I wanted to invite you guys to it. My church is throwing it. And uh, the guy who's dealing drugs is like, well, what are you serving at the barbecue? And I was like, I don't know, hamburgers and hot dogs. And he, he looks at me, he goes, Ugh, that stuff is going to kill you. And then he walks away. And I, that's, it's one of my favorite stories because his self-righteousness at the unhealthy food that we were making is obviously laughable in the knowledge that he's dealing illegal drugs to college students. Now, his, hypo his hypocrisy is obvious to everyone except to him. Because when we are judgmental, we're blind to our hypocrisy. Trying to change the world around you without first walking close to God will not bring you fulfillment. Trying to change the world's sin without addressing your own sin because you believe your sin is less, is folly. If you are a sinner without repentance, then you automatically give up certain privileges if you are choosing to be a rational, insane human being. And what I mean is this, if you're living without repentance in your life, then you give up, you give up the right to have outrage against the world when it also refuses to repent of its sin. And if you are a sinner that is consistently repenting then you likely have no desire or heart to be outraged at the sin of others. Because a sinner that is trying to repent understands that the best medicine for transformation is an outrage, but grace. They understand that they themselves would never be able to bear up under the weight of, of outrage at their own consistently sinning heart. When we're not walking close with God and then we feel helpless or scared, or anxious, or worried, or discontent, or angry, we likely are not in a place to trust God with our struggles. And instead, we try to change the environment in an effort to fix those feelings. And we usually do that badly. We want to deal with the environment that hurts us with brutality. Instead of ministering to the woman caught in adultery with mercy, we come to Jesus with stones looking to go ahead and begin throwing. And while the woman committing adultery is a problem, it wasn't the problem. She's only the bowl in which, soup, in which the soup inside has been poisoned. 
At the end of the day, no one is saying anything revelatory when they claim that our world, our culture, and our cities are a mess or filled with injustice. Filled with the obvious oppression, but even more commonly filled with, with the control and manipulation that is less obvious. There is hatred and violence perpetuated both by the lowly and by those who are supposed to be empowered to, su to serve the good of a given community. It's not fair. It's not right. And we ought to work as God's stewards in this world to change it all. The church should be a source of change and reform in the messed up world around us. And it's ever been my dream that wherever the church is, it is a source for changing the communities and the cities where it exists. That where the church is, there's peace. And where the church is, there's equity. And where the church lives, there's a refuge. And that in the end, it will be these qualities of the church body that literally begins to transform the very environment into which it's been planted. We can remove the poison from the world one person at a time. We begin doing that by walking closely with God ourselves. And when we do that, we join with others who are also doing that. And then we invite the aimless wanderers and the lost souls to walk beside us. And before long, there's an honor guard, a parade of revolutionaries, a march with Jesus at the head, redeeming the world with every step we take, disarming the enemies of peace, restoring dignity and hope to the landscape around us. And in our march and in our fight, the world turns and the world is changed. But we don't fight with the weapons of the world. When the world fights, it's almost do always done in hypocrisy and with brutality. And it's not something that we should imitate. When the world sees that the soup is poisoned, they always start a crusade to change the bowl, believing that this is what removes poison from soup. They try and paint the bowl. They try and take the bowl and smash it to the ground. They replace the old bowl with a new bowl. And all the while, the poison remains. The world is blind. It only sees the outside of the bowl, willfully ignoring the poison inside. It's not the bowl. The poison is in the soup. That's what I got, guys. Thank you so much. Um, that's my message. I appreciate you guys listening, everybody on here. I miss you all. Um, but that's uh, that's what I got. Phil, do I need to do anything else? Bro, first of all, uh, yes, I know I do this on behalf of everybody else. I know you don't do it for the applause, but... That lesson was so uh, stinking convicting. I thought uh, if it's okay with you, since we do have a little bit of time here, I thought it'd be great to invite maybe a couple people to uh, share their video and audio. And um, I, we can't obviously have everybody, but maybe just a couple. I'd love to hear what you guys are uh, hearing Chris say. And uh, I'm gonna, if you, if you get too long-winded, um, I'll just boot you, which is fine. Uh, so try to keep your comments to uh, less than a minute, amen? Uh, Isaiah Moore wants to be the first, and uh, I, I'm, I'm uh, inclined to let him in. So let's see yeah. what Isaiah has to say. And once I let you in, you'll have to share your um, your audio and video, Isaiah. There you are. Hey, y'all. Um, wow, Chris. That, I, I have no words. What I really got from that, and, and it's really resonating in my own life right now um, with my father. You know, I've been struggling to look at him or talk to him and say, I love you because you were there for me 
when I, you know, when I needed you, when I was smaller, when my biological father wasn't there. Um, but what's what's stopping me from doing that is the thought that of all the wrong that he has done to my family and to me and I'm your your message has just convicted me to to get get over that. I I have love in my heart that I can share with him that could possibly change him and that is what needs to be fixed is his love is the love that's lacking in his life. Um he's not he's not the problem but the sin within him is the problem. So I just thank you so much for that. Uh I love you and please, please keep preaching the word and, and, and strengthening the church in Denver. And I will be to see you soon. Thanks, Isaiah. I, I, would, I would like to just comment real quickly is that um, I think sometimes forgiveness, guys, takes a long time. And it, it, it's amazing yeah. how it, it takes sometimes living life um, to understand why people do the things that they do and, you know, and making mistakes. I mean, I, when I, you know, 15 years ago, I, I was definitely, um, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm wired to be militant and I'm, I'm wired to be judgmental. And, you know, 15 years later, of after all the mistakes that I've made and after all the mercy that other people have given me because of my mistakes has made me, I, I, softer is not the right word, but definitely I, I feel like that type of living of life has has made it easier for me to walk in someone else's shoes. And, you know, sometimes I say, you just got to give yourself some time to forgive because you, you got to experience some life and you've got to, you've got to make your own mistakes. And as you make your own mistakes and people forgive you, it's amazing how much easier it becomes to forgive other people. But I really do appreciate you, you wanting to forgive and, and love your, love your pops. And um, I appreciate you. And I sometimes I watch your videos of reading scriptures, just so you know. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Isaiah. Isaiah, I'll have you go ahead and leave the room and we'll have Jaren sing, uh, share, and then uh, and then Aaron catch would be after that. Amen. Um, well, thank, thanks so much, Chris. I, uh, I think one of the big things that I was just sitting with was um, with this knowledge, it's so easy for me to get to a place of like self-righteousness that like Oh, so, you know, I, I think somebody mentioned in the chat, somebody else needs to hear this, or I, I can actually, my tendency is to look down on people uh, with this knowledge and people who don't have it so quickly. But I, I totally appreciate kind of the end that is that our job is to be the source of change, like every church. Um, and so I just feel that totally in Kalamazoo or even that, that focus of that vision. Um, I'll let my guys share uh, as well. Right Thanks, now. Jay. Hey, Chris, it's Lauren. Uh, you probably can't tell because I'm like covered up. Um, but uh, you know, I really just appreciated that because I think it's human inclination to make judgments. You walk into a room and you're immediately making observations and making so many judgments. And I think uh, I think back to becoming a disciple. I'm like, did me becoming a disciple just make that worse in a way? And I think when I became a disciple, now I, I look at myself and think I'm so self-righteous. I have this salvation that other people don't have. And that almost enhances my ability to make negative judgments about other people that are in sin or the world that's in sin. And that's not right. That's actually me committing sin myself and doing that. And I think that lesson just really helped to point that out. So I really appreciate that. Man. Amen. Amen. Yes, it's Alex. Um, hey, uh, I, I super appreciate this lesson, man. Um, I just think that 
uh, is, is just a great reminder of, of just how easy it is to miss the point. Um, and just love your analogy. Hey, it's not the bowl. Um, and, uh, and I think it's like, you know, the, the bowl is the outside. It's the most obvious, maybe uh, the most surfacey observation. Um, but, you know, as disciples of Jesus, I think we're called to, to look deeper than that and look beyond that. And so I just appreciated that. And a lot of times that, that uh, even just as you shared in Matthew, Matthew 7, just like that, uh, looking beyond that is looking inward and um, looking at your own heart and your own, um, just your own contributions to the poison um, and how you can, uh, how you can really work to, to remove those. So just super appreciated this, uh, this lesson. I just love the way that you word things and the way that you think through things. So thanks so much. Thanks, Dave. fellas. Uh, Phil, do you mind if I just comment real briefly on something? Of course. No, absolutely. Um, you know, all of this doesn't take away the necessity for judgment. Like there is right and wrong. And and we still have to be willing to call out when something's wrong. And and, and when injustice or anything is happening, when sin is happening, we do make judgment. You can't have justice without judgment. Um but the manner in which we go about that makes all of the difference. You know, what, what, what's actually taking place within us as we're pursuing justice makes a huge difference to the result of whether justice takes place or not. So anyway, that was just going to, I just wanted to add that. Thanks guys. Amen. Thank you so much, Kalamazoo. We're praying for you guys. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. I love you guys. All right. Uh, Aaron, catch the, the very famous Aaron Catch is next. Very famous. <laughs> very famous. Awesome. Yeah, Chris, I really appreciated that lesson. Like uh, like everyone said, at every turn, I was just hit hard. And um, I don't know. I think what really stuck out to me was just the fact that you kind of went to the root of things. Uh, you know, if we are supposed to be a light as, as the church, why are we not motivated by, you know, the forgiveness that we've received why are we not motivated by what god has done for us um, and then bringing it back to the fact that we do often get unhappy or just discontent with where we're at and that leads us to want to change our environment and um, i think that I, I just had a couple of situations recently where i found myself getting frustrated with people uh, just seeing uh, kind of how judgmental they were being and i think this really just called out sort of my attitude uh, towards them, just seeing that, like, okay, why am I so judgmental? Why am I ready to call them out on them yeah. being judgmental when I'm literally doing the exact same thing if I'm getting frustrated with them? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was just really, really encouraged by this, really, uh, um, like I said, hit hard, and uh, I appreciate that. Thanks, Aaron. Miss you, buddy. Awesome. Why don't we have uh, Madison Gorell, then Alamine, then Caitlin? Sweet. Um, yeah, I really, there's a lot of good points. I think one of the biggest ones that Chris shared that really stuck out to me was uh, when he said judgment towards others reveals personal discontentment. Um, I think that was really convicting just because, um, I don't know, I just, I, I think of like, like I, I struggle with the idea of like, you know, being found out. Like if I think about like, you know, my own sin, or um, you know, just the the my own struggles that I go with. You know, if it's if it's if I'm going through something, like I don't want to be found out. Like, like I want to be able to present myself in a way to where like um, like it's not as bad. Like, so I won't be judged as harshly. Um, and so, um, but like if I'm angry about something, that shows that that just proves that there's something in my heart that is like discontent 
Because like, I think Jesus was able to respond so calmly in that story in John because he, he had nothing to be discontent about. Like he lived a perfect sinless life. So there was nothing for him to be angry about because there was no like, I guess, inner turmoil um, because he didn't have any sin. So that was just something that stuck out to me. So good stuff. Good points, Madison. I appreciate you sharing, buddy. Amen. Thanks, Madison. Awesome. Great lesson uh, all around. Um, I think I just wanted to comment on the story of the, uh, like that bar fight. Like I was kind of just envisioning like just how that went down, all the different like elements at play, uh, all the different people uh, in that scenario. And like looking through the crowd, like with all those people, their chances are, you know, there's some people there maybe think they're doing the right thing. Some people there who just want to fight. Um, there's others there who have uh, uh, seen a uh, loved one abused and mistreated in a similar type of way uh, and are having reactions based off of that. Um, and like you can, the list continues going totally. on and on. Absolutely. And um, it's just, it makes it so complex because it's just, there's a lot of people there. Um, some of the uh, mindsets maybe even track, but I think it's really just calls us to, uh, sober judgment because uh all that being said like it, it still doesn't change like whether um the uh attitudes present like was it actually uh helping the situation like or was it hurting like was it leading towards uh uh resolution or was it uh just the fire so i just thought that was uh super humbling and convicting um because even in the moments when like uh I'm feeling like super strongly about something uh, being one way or another. Um, it it kind of, there's this challenge to uh, try to take another step back because like, all right, uh, there's things that I am confident about and know to be true. Like if I'm in a situation where I've seen someone get hurt like that, I'm getting, I'm getting extra riled up. I'm getting, I don't know if I'm on the side that's trying to stop things from going down. Um, but even if that's the case, that um, like that was just another dude. Totally. I wasn't even homeboy. Um, and even if it was homeboy, maybe there's another resolution that would better glorify Christ. So I just really appreciated that because it just got me thinking a bunch of uh, different angles. Yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing, Alan. You're bringing up a really good point because th there's another part of looking at that. There's an exercise to looking at that where you can. As I'm telling the story, it's easy as a listener to go, what's wrong with, like, everybody in the bar is a mess. Like, what morons, what idiots. But you're exactly right because there could be a guy in a bar who that day saw his dad punch his mom and walks into that bar and experiences this. And it's just filled with with the rage. And it's it's transferring what he's experienced to somewhere else. And you know what? That's understandable. It doesn't make it right but it makes it understandable and it's worthy of empathy. It's worthy of compassion. And that's how you talk to people. That's how you start to deconstruct these things. And so Alan, I really appreciate you bringing that up. I think if we can look at situations the way that you just tried to visualize the bar situation, it's amazing how it diffuses so much of our own angst and, and anger as well. So I appreciate you talking. Thank you, Alan. And all right, Caitlin Kwong from Canada. Hello, um, I'm Caitlin. Um, I really was, wow, I think I was shook throughout the entire lesson. I was trying to write everything down so quickly. 
Um, I think one point that you said that was like, wow, it really made me do a double take was um, when Jesus didn't provide an answer to the the Pharisees about um, like, oh, like, is this the judge? Like, what's your judgment about this woman? And he didn't give um, an answer to such a complex um, situation. And um, I think in the world, the way that I believe like I've grown up is like, you always should have an answer. You should always have an opinion. You should always be able to speak up for yourself and, and provide your own reasoning. But there are just so many variables that we don't know and are not aware of that. Totally. Um, it's, it's, you shouldn't always need to have an answer and always have that humility to seek the situation clearly. And um, I think that was something that was like, I can just imagine myself in so many like quote unquote arguments or just discussions with people in the world about like um, even uh, being religious or just like the topics of like society that um, you're like, Oh, like I, I must be coming from a place where I am right because it is my opinion, which is not true at all. And um, just being able to listen and, and, just being like, it's okay to not have an answer all the time, yep. um, which was like, yeah, it's like, the, well, this is really great. Thank you for your lesson. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I hear your name thrown around a lot and I'm like, Chris Silman, uh, Chris Silman. <laughs> so thank you for your lesson. It was very, very awesome. Thank you, Caitlin. And I think you're, I think you're so right. Like we, the world puts so much pressure to have an answer for everything rather than just listen and think and take your time. You know, you, you don't always have to have an answer. And we feel, I, I'm sure you guys feel it in college all the time. You know, I'm not even just talking about classroom, but just there's always so much um, social discussion and world discussion going on. And, and you can feel like if you don't, if you're not ready to give an answer or you're not ready to jump on a bandwagon that you're irrelevant. And so I, mm. I appreciate what you said. And I think you're right. Sometimes we just need to be patient and, and, and not have an answer. Mm. Amen. Thank you for coming on, Caitlin. And you know, what a testament, even as I look right now, there's still 93 connections in this room alone, which one, and I think so many of those are people that you've impacted in the past, Chris. So it's a testament to how much people still want to hear what you have to say, which is, I think, uh, you know, uh, reflects great on you and the things that you share. But then two, I think it reflects on how, how relevant what you're sharing and even, that even people want to hear, oh, what are the questions people have? And how can I even continue learning this lesson through what other people share? So I appreciate those who come on and afterwards to share. Um, next um, is BJ Montgomery and then Dawson. We'll make Dawson Eastler the last one and then we'll close it up and let everybody go to lunch. Oh, one of my favorite musicians, BJ Montgomery. Come on, buddy. <laughs> What's up, Chris? Good to see you, man. Man, that was an awesome lesson. Um, yeah, I, I thought um, your point about how the world tries to solve problems, you know, how, how the world tries to, or the, the, the perspective that people have on their communities and how they try to change the the bowl instead of changing the soup. They, you know, talking about like, I love the point that you make where, where you said that through our church, through our community, through the way that we work out our relationship with God and relationship with other people, that's how the community is gonna change, not by enforcing these things or, or not by trying to create these different, I don't know, you know, changing the bowl. It's, it's by 
us living out the life of a disciple, us examining our lives and being that example, that's going to make that change. Um, I thought that was just so thoughtful. I think that's, that's sometimes just stuff I struggle with, you know, thinking about like, man, how can I, how can I change this campus or how can I, how can I help the people, I don't know, in, in, in I don't know, the music scene in Milwaukee or this or that. Um, and uh, I just, I just love the, the points that you, that you present. It was, it was awesome. Thanks, BJ. It's good seeing you, buddy. Definitely. Thank you, BJ. All right, Dawson Eastler, why don't you close this out, my friend? Sounds good. Uh, first, Chris, I want to say thank, thank you very much for the inspiring lesson you gave us. It's very, very much like your critical points that you called us out for and you called us to a higher standard with. It was very encouraging. I also love your family because there's so many cool people in there. It's super encouraging to see them and to see you even. Uh, you know, we don't know each other too well, but I feel like for me, the point where it's the scripture with the plank in your own eye, I feel like that one with the parable was very impactful for me because I was always thinking about where I can improve on myself, but I know my emotions sometimes can always cloud my judgment. And I know a lot of people, it's a lot of emotions that wild up and get wound up inside themselves that you can't think clearly sometimes and you can't control what you're feeling. So I feel like one thing I'm always going to be working on after like, and especially during this lesson too, that really impacted me was just seeing where my emotions lie and seeing where I can improve in that way, focusing on myself before I try to focus on other people. Because if you, like you said, if you try to focus on other people before yourself, you're going to see that plank in your eye. It's going to be like, what the heck am I doing? What am I, how am I going to be able to help people when I can't even help myself? Yep. So I feel like we're focusing on our emotions and making sure we have a clear judgment and a clear mind space to be able to give advice in that, in that area of what we might do is very important so that we don't allow ourselves to be impaired in that way. Good. Well spoken, Dawson. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Well, that is it. I encourage you to go grab some lunch somewhere. Uh, and uh, really thank you, uh, everybody, for jumping onto the class. Chris, thanks again for just making time, uh, you know, to do this on a Saturday. Bro, yeah, we really benefited me. from your time. Thanks for having me, everybody. It's good to see the faces that I did and, and read the chat. And you guys have a great rest of the day and, and time at the retreat. Phil, thanks for putting this together. Thank you so much. Everybody else, we'll see you at 7 for the uh, discussion panels.